0: You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Hope Church. Thank you for engaging with us. If you would like more information about our church family, please visit www.covenanthope.church. We pray that this sermon encourages and challenges you today. Good morning, Covenant Hope. If you have a Bible, grab it and turn to Genesis chapter 27. Guess, my name is Cody. I'm one of the pastors here and have the opportunity to open up their scriptures for us regularly and love to do so. We're going to resume our series through the book of Genesis. We had taken a short break uh, in the book uh, to talk about our marks of maturity and to celebrate our five years as a church family. And we come back now uh, to Genesis. If you're a guest today, we normally walk through books of the Bible uh, and do that so on purpose so that we can uh, hear from God and not to uh, to receive things that we think uh, are not there, but we want to come to His Word and to know what He says to us. That's why we call this time preaching, and uh, we ask the Lord to reveal Himself to us by His Word. Uh, if you are not a follower of Jesus this morning, it's my prayer that you see this is a safe place uh, to ask questions and to see what we are about and to see who King Jesus is and why we uh, come to worship Him uh, every week. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of those hard black-covered Bibles in front of you and turn to page 21 to follow along with us. Uh, my wife asked me this week, uh, are you preaching on humility? And I'm not, but I'm going to have to sit in this chair some because my back is out. So uh, I'm not preaching on humility this morning, although it would be a good illustration, I think. Uh, but as we start this morning, uh, many of you probably know the, the, uh, the show American Ninja Warrior. Uh, Maybe some of you really enjoy that show. Uh, It's pretty unique in the sense that we're going to put people on TV who are relatively pretty athletic, and we're going to watch them try to swing across things and hold on to things and move their bodies and contort their bodies in ways at which they uh, try to get across obstacles. I did not do that this week. That's not why my back is out. Uh, And um, they they do this. I have a time frame. So the first episode aired in 2009, and it's still going as far as I know. But they come up with these new obstacles every season. Like, that and these people go and they, they learn about, they practice these obstacles. And so they try to work uh, their bodies to be able to pass those particular obstacles to actually uh, win uh, the race. And here in our text this morning, we're going to be seeing multiple obstacles, not that God's people are going to be able to overcome but that God will ultimately overcome for his people. And in, in reality, it is the obstacles that the people put in place here in Genesis chapter 27 and a few verses in chapter 28. So as we look here in God's word, here's what we're going to see this morning. Rebekah and Jacob work to deceive Isaac for the promised blessing, thereby causing irre- irreversible damage to the family. Now, if you're a disciple today, here's what I want you to know. If you're new to Covenant Hope, we talk about making mature disciples here. And we want you to hear this passage in light of what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, here's what we need to know and we need to do. God is gracious to keep his promise of restoration despite the obstacles we put in front of him. Our God is gracious to keep his promise of restoration. Let me, let me bring you up to the point in this story, especially if you've not been here with us as we've walked through the book of Genesis this year, we know that our God created everything good. Uh, he, he created the world, the universe, everything that we see, it was good. He made man and woman and he said that they were very good. And and when Adam and Eve lived together, they enjoyed harmony uh, with in their relationship, but also in their relationship with God. But in Genesis chapter 23, very quickly we see humanity decided to rebel against him and sin against him. They didn't believe that they were for, that he was for them. And so they ate of the tree that God had commanded them not to eat from. And then they brought sin into the world and death uh, by sin. But in Genesis chapter 3, in in the darkest moment in human history, God makes a promise in verse 15. He says, I will put enmity between you and the serpent. The seed of this serpent and your seed will have a battle. But your son will crush his head. And so there's a promise made that even though now there has been brokenness and death and sin brought into the world, our God promises to restore things to the way they should be. And so we saw how terrible and how damaging sin has been throughout human history, but particularly from Genesis 3 all the way to Genesis chapter 11, we see the culmination of that sin at the Tower of Babel. And at Genesis chapter 12, it, it turns, the book turns into a new chapter. So much so that God calls Abraham, doesn't know who God is, doesn't worship God, calls him to himself and says, I want you to leave your family and your land and leave everything you've got and go to a place I have called you to. And God blesses him. And this blessing is important. It's programmatic. It's, it's, by the, it's the way in which we need to understand the book of Genesis that this blessing is what God is going to do to bring the seed of the woman to, to life. To bring this seed, this son who will crush the head of the serpent. And so now we've been tracing this story, this lineage of the seed from Adam and Eve all the way to Abraham. We now know that Abraham is the, going to be the heir He's going to be the heir of the promise. His family is going to be the people by which the Messiah come from. We've seen Abraham's life. We've we've walked through that together. We've seen Isaac go up the mountain to be sacrificed, what we just sung together. Abraham's faith was great there. Abraham passes on the blessing to Isaac. Then we get to Genesis chapter 26, chapter 25, where... Isaac, yet yeah, we get one chapter of, of Isaac, really, if we're being honest. One chapter. But in, in Genesis 25, we see here what Aaron just read for us that there's a prophecy made about the children of Isaac, that there will be a son, two of them, but one son will, will serve the other. And this is flipped. We don't understand. Normally, the firstborn receives the, the birthright, receives the blessing. But in God's gracious kindness, in his election, he chooses Jacob, not of his own power and own goodness, but because God is kind. And so this brings us now to the, to the story that we find ourselves in. At the end of Genesis chapter 26, what we see here is Esau, he marries Canaanite women. And what he's done is he's now married women outside of the faith, outside of the, the family, the people of God, and he's now declared to his parents that I want nothing to do with the promises of God. And now the story focuses now specifically on Jacob, where he will continue the promise. As we walk through the story, you're, you're going to you're going to be in a little bit of shock here at what happens and what God's people do. I told you at the start of the book of Genesis, we're going to be in a soap opera. This is a soap opera and all the things that happen here in Genesis chapter 27. And so I want, I want to walk us through this story. I want to read God's word. I want to make some comments and I want to apply it to our lives. But I want to show you three obstacles that God has to overcome to keep his promises. There are three obstacles that God overcomes to keep his promise. Obstacle number one, selfishness. Selfishness. Look there at verse 1 of chapter 27. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could not see, so one would see that Isaac is blind, but he's blind in more ways than one. He called his older son Esau. and said to him, my son, and he answered, here am I. He said, look, I, I am old and do not know the day of my death. Now what we do know is that Isaac lives for 20 more years. Uh, For whatever reason, he thought he was going to die here. Verse 3. So now take your hunting gear, your quiver and bow, and go out in the field to hunt some game for me. Then make me a delicious meal that I might love it and bring it to me to eat. Now remember, back in Genesis chapter 25, Esau is described as someone who's driven by his appetite. And look what Isaac says. Do this for me so that I can bless you before I die we could ask the question is Isaac wrong for wanting to bless Esau does he even know the Lord's prophecy does he know that God has graciously chosen Jacob now when we look at Genesis 25 I think Isaac knows exactly what's happened I think Isaac knows the prophecy he knows what the Lord has said he just doesn't care why is this important Because when a father in the Old Testament blesses his son, he's not some wish. But it's a binding prophecy that determines the course of the son's life. Isaac doesn't seem to be concerned with what the Lord has said about Jacob receiving the blessing. But he wants to bless Esau. But why? Why does he want to bless Esau? Well, Isaac thinks he's going to die. And he wants his last meal. Isaac is driven by his appetite more than he's driven by God's desires. At this point, Isaac stands in the way of God's promises. His selfishness displayed in a trivial meal drives his actions, not his love for God or even his love for his family. Isaac longs for his own selfishness and his own belly to be full. So much so that he'll pass the blessing on to the son that should not receive the blessing. Church, what do you long for more than God? What do you long for more than obeying God? Here's the thing, when we're faced with temptation or the decision to obey... We will always choose what we love, every single time. We will always choose what's most dear to us, even if we know with our heads what is right. Church, we need new hearts with new desires. In this moment, in the line of promise, in this family, God has to overcome the selfishness of his people. And unfortunately, it's not the only obstacle he has to overcome. Obstacle number two, deception. Deception. Look there at verse five. Now, Rebecca was listening to what Isaac said to his son Esau. She's eavesdropping. She knows what's going on. She knows her husband. She knows her son Esau. So while Esau went to the field to hunt some game to bring it in, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, she now devises a plan, listen, I heard your father talking to your brother Esau, he said, bring me game and make a delicious meal for me to eat so I can bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now, my son, listen to me and do what I tell you. Go to the flock and bring me two choice young goats, and I will make them into a delicious meal for your father, the kind that he loves. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. Rebecca knows the way to Isaac's heart. It's through his stomach. And she knows what he likes. And she says, Jacob, go and, get me. go and get me these goats. I will prepare them and make it for you. And you'll give it to your father so he can bless you. But immediately, verse 11, Jacob's concerned that he's going to be caught. Look at verse 11. Jacob answered Rebekah, his mother, look, my brother Esau is a hairy man. But I am a man with smooth skin. Suppose my father touches me, then he will, it will, I will be revealed to him as a deceiver and bring a curse rather than a blessing on myself. And his mom stops him right there and says, Don't you worry, son, in verse 13. I will take on the curse for you. I will take your place. Look at verse 14. So he went and got the goats and brought them in. Uh, brought them to his mother, and his mother made the delicious food his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of his older son Esau, which were in the house. I want you to notice how Moses describes each son, Esau the son of Isaac, Jacob the son son of Rebekah. Just notice how they're pitted against each other. Verse 16, she put the skins of the young goats on his hands and the smooth part of his neck. Then she handed the delicious food and the bread, and she made her son Jacob. I mean, this is a bold plan, is it not? I mean, this is like straight up deception. I mean, this is is one of the most horrific things a wife could do to her husband or a son could do to his father. Look at verse 18. When he came to his father, he said, my father, and he answered him, here I am. Who are you, my son? Moses, the writer of Genesis, wants us to zoom in. On Isaac's blindness so much so he doesn't tell, remind us he's blind, but he shows us that he's blind. Jacob replied to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me, first lie. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you can bless me. But Isaac's not so sure. But Isaac said to his son, how did you ever find it so quickly, my son? He replied, Because the Lord your God made it happen for me. Uh oh. He asked him again, Are you sure you're my son? And he, now he lies again and he brings God into it. He, he, he commits blasphemy. He, he says, As God is my witness. So Jacob has not just deceived his father, he's now brought in the Lord. Look at verse 21, then Isaac said to Jacob, please come closer so I can touch you, my son. Are you really my son, Esau, or not? Isaac knows something's wrong. So Jacob came closer to his father when he touched him. He said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he blessed him. Again, he said, are you really my son Esau? And he replied, I am. Lie number four. Then he said, bring, bring it closer to me and let me eat some of my son's game so I can bless you. Jacob brought it closer to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Jacob has fully deceived his father now. And he's about to receive the blessing. Look at verse 26. Then his father Isaac said to him, please Come closer and kiss me, my son. So he came closer and kissed him. When Isaac smelled his clothes, he blessed him and said, "Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the field the Lord has blessed. Look at the blessing now. May God give to you from the dew of the sky and from the riches of the land an abundance of grain and new wine. May peoples serve you and nations bow in homage to you. Be master over your relatives. May your mother's sons bow in homage to you. Those who curse you will be cursed and those who bless you will be blessed. It's now over. Jacob has the blessing, the blessing of prosperity, people, and protection. Now deception is something we've seen throughout the book of Genesis, right? But but deception is is the sin of the family. Deception is the sin of the family. Remember when Abraham lied to Pharaoh. He says, Sarah's not my wife. She's my sister. That was a half-truth, half-sister, little white lie. Remember, Isaac does the same thing, follows in his father's footsteps, says the same thing uh, to Abimelech, This is not my wife, Rebecca. She is my sister, another lie. And now that lie has turned, it's morphed into deception. So much so to steal the blessing of God. Church, we pass our sin struggles down to our children. Parents, how are you working to show your children the foolishness of your sin. How are we showing them the destruction that sin brings us? Isaac had to know about his father. Jacob knew about his father, Isaac. But those sins weren't dealt with. But when we downplay our sin, we set up our children for failure. When we don't when we sin in front of them, when we sin against them, and we don't ask forgiveness, what we do is we downplay our sin and we make it okay. But I also think it teaches us how sin grows. How small lies turn into bold plans of deception. Sin is dangerous. Sin, although we think it's small, will grow roots and it will sprout and destroy our lives. Now, are we too harsh on Rebecca? Jacob is the son that should receive the blessing. So, did she just help advance God's plan? I don't think so. The Bible, even up to this point, is clear that God does not need our help to fulfill his promises. Actually, he will fulfill his promises despite the help that we try to give. Rebecca was motivated by favoritism, not righteousness. Rebecca usurps her husband's authority and deceives him. Two wrongs don't make a right, you've heard it said. Even though Isaac knew better and should have blessed Jacob, Rebecca was not sinless here. Yes, Isaac favored Esau. Rebecca favored Jacob. This is not parenting advice. It's actually the opposite of parenting advice. No one is sinless in the story. I mean, think about it. How would your family stand up to this level of deception? Husbands, how would you feel if your wife deceived you in this way? Mothers, if your children deceived you in in the same kind of way. God overcomes deception to keep his promise of restoration, but it doesn't stop there. Because our selfishness and our deception culminate into one last obstacle. The obstacle of broken relationships. The obstacle of broken relationships. Look there at verse 30. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had left the presence of his father Isaac, his brother Esau arrived from his hunting. You know the show? They're going in to steal the codes for something important, and the person coming back in the office, you, you know, every second they're playing back and forth. Are, we, are they going to get the codes or not? Are they going to steal what they need to steal and get out? That's exactly what's happening. We see Isaac. And Jacob, Jacob leaves, and now Esau's coming in the, in the front door, and Jacob leaves out the back. Verse 31, he had also made some delicious food and brought it to his father. That's Esau. And he said to his father, let my father get up and eat some of, my son, of his son's game, so that you may bless me. But his father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I am Esau, your firstborn son. Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably. It is in this moment that Isaac realizes what's happened. Who was it then? He said, "Who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came in, and I blessed him. Indeed, he will be blessed. There are no takebacks when it comes to blessing." Verse thirty-four. I want you to feel what Moses writes here. When Esau heard his father's words, he cried out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me too, father. But he replied, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Do you feel the hopelessness here? Do do you see Esau? Do do you feel the the hopelessness of the situation that he is in? Esau thinks that this blessing is going to fix everything. That's going to make it all okay. But Isaac says in verse verse 36, actually it's Esau, he says, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me twice now. He took my birthright and look, now he has taken my blessing. Esau's not really honest here. Because Esau sold him his birthright. He wanted nothing to do with it. Esau wanted nothing to do with his birthright. He wanted nothing to do with with what God had desired. But Isaac answered Esau, look, I have made him a master over you. I've given him all of his relatives, as his servants, and I've sustained him with grain and new wine. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, do you only have one blessing, my father? Bless me too. And Esau wept loudly. There isn't a blessing left for Esau, but rather really kind of an anti-blessing. Look there, verse 39. His father Isaac answered him, look, your dwelling place will be away from the riches of the land, the promised land that God has given us, away from the dew of the sky above. You will live by the sword. Who does that remind you of? Ishmael? And you will serve your brother, but when you rebel, you will break his yoke from your neck. This broken relationship between Esau and Jacob will culminate into Israel and Edom, in which they will go to war against one another. The consequences of our sin have massive consequences. Although Isaac could not pass down the promised blessing to Esau, which he should have never tried to do in the first place, As a good father, he should have reassured Esau that he loved him. I mean, think about this for a moment. Because of the selfishness, because of the deception and the sin and the brokenness, Isaac, what he could have done in this moment was say, son, you know that Jacob is the chosen one. You know that he is going to be the one that the promise continues in. But that's okay. I love you. I even even favor you. But God can use you too But because of all the mess. Isaac, in a lot of ways, really kind of curses Esau. And the the sin of the family now begins to erode all the relationships that were there. When we let our own selfishness get in the way of God's plan, we set in motion disastrous consequences. Look at the consequence in verse 41. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And Esau determined in his heart. The days of mourning for my father are approaching, meaning he's going to die soon. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. The deception has fully broken the family. Now much like Cain and Abel, Esau wants to kill his brother. But this isn't the only broken relationship. It's not the only broken relationship. Look there at verse 42. When the words of her older son Esau were reported back to Rebekah, she summoned her younger son Jacob and said to him, in an effort to save him, she hears the plan and she sends him away. Listen, your brother Esau is consoling himself by planning to kill you. I have a younger brother. I did lots of terrible things to him growing up, but I never tried to kill him. Verse 43, so now my son, listen to me. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran and stay with him for a few days until your brother's anger subsides. Rebecca thinks, all right, Jacob, go, get away from here. Go stay with your uncle. Be there for a few days. Once once the anger blows through, then we'll be okay. And you can return home. And she says, go stay with him. Then I will send for you and bring you back from there. Why should I lose you both in one day? Now, in an effort to make this look legitimate, she manipulates her husband. She she doubles down. Look at verse 46. So Rebecca said to Isaac, I'm sick of my life because of these Hethite girls. That was Esau's wives. Remember that phrase back at the end of uh, Genesis 26? They made their lives horrible, Rebecca and Isaac's. I'm I'm tired of them. If Jacob marries someone from around here like these Hethite girls, what good is my life? Rebecca thinks that this will blow over. She thinks that if Isaac sends him away, that everything's going to be fine. But it doesn't. Rebecca will never see her son again, at least that we know and are told of. If we haven't learned already through the book of Genesis, when we provide sinful solutions to problems only God can fix, we cause more pain and heartache. But the question is, how does God, who is not mentioned in the story, Acting at least, how does he overcome these obstacles? How does he overcome these obstacles? Well, church, he's sovereign. And the right son receives the blessing and continues the promised line. I cannot explain to you 100% how God's sovereignty works, because I'm not God, I don't know. I I can assure you, though, 100%, that the Bible teaches that God is fully in control of every situation and we can do nothing to change that so whether Isaac was going to bless Esau and God was going to undo that and bless Jacob I don't know but God was in control and they did not have to provide these sinful solutions many of you are probably wondering what does God want for my life what decisions should I make what, what are the consequences or, or or scenarios of those decisions in my own life And you're worried about doing what God wants and doing his will. Let me just take the pressure off for just a moment. Honor the Lord by living righteously and trust him. Because here's the deal. You can't mess up God's plan. You cannot mess up God's plan. Why? Because he's sovereign. And he's in control. Because if you could mess up his plan, then he's not God. Now, I don't know how that works every detail out. I know that we're responsible. These people in this story are responsible for their sin. But our God is sovereign and he's in control. And he overcomes the obstacles that we put in his place. Look look at uh, chapter 28, verse 1. So Isaac summoned Jacob, blessed him, and commanded him. He knows now. He knows he's been deceived. But look what he does. Do not marry a Canaanite girl. Go at once to Pada Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father. Marry one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. Now really quickly, it was normal for you to marry cousins in in, uh, the time of, of Genesis. So they kept the family intact. And now Isaac, he once again blesses Jacob. After the deception, it reminds us of the blessing of Abraham. And it shows us that God is in full control. Verse three, may God almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you so that you may become an assembly of peoples. May God give you and your offspring the blessing of Abraham so you may possess the land where you live as a foreigner and the land God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob to Pada Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Jacob gets away. Esau does not kill him. But look what Esau does. Look, look, what, he, look what he does in response. In verse 6. Esau noticed that Isaac blessed Jacob and sent him to Padan Aram to get a wife there. When he blessed him, Isaac commanded Jacob, do not marry a Canaanite girl. And Jacob listened to his father and mother and went to Padan Aram. Esau realized that his father Isaac disapproved of the Canaanite women. So what's he do? Esau went to Ishmael, at least the family of Ishmael, and married, in addition to his wives, Mahathla, daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son. She was the sister of Nabaoth. So in response to all this, we see nobody learns. <laughs> they don't learn what actually they should do. In an effort to rebel against his father, Esau went to marry a not woman from the line of Ishmael. He's far from the Lord. Esau, Esau shows us who he is the whole time. Right? It confirms God's grace to choose Jacob. Esau was not of the line of promise. In reality, he's from the line of the serpent. He was the seed of the serpent like Cain and Lamech. But don't get focused here too much on Esau. Do not miss this. The fact that the promise continues through Jacob should shock us. That this deceiver, this sinner, is the heir of the promise. It shows us the length in which God will go to to keep his promise of restoration. And shows us too that he will use sinners to accomplish his plan. I don't know what circumstances that each and every one of you are going through. I don't know what sins you're struggling with. But here's what I know. God uses sinners to accomplish his plan. And whatever you've done, whatever you've brought into this room today, God can take and forgive you. And God can use you. So much so that you can be in the family. You can be a part of God's family. If you go back and look at Jesus' lineage in Matthew 1, we look here in this story at the people who are in the family of God. Jacob, a liar and a deceiver. David, an adulterer and murderer. Rahab, a prostitute. Jesus' line is full of sinners. But he is not. He is not full of sin. He has no sin. This story tells us that God is gracious to keep his promises, despite human sinfulness. But we don't see the restoration fully here in this story. We really kind of have to wait to the end of Genesis for some of it to be worked out. But even at the, book of, at the end of the book of Genesis, we don't have the promise. We don't have restoration. So how does God keep his promise to the world that he's going to restore all things the way they should be? In his son, Jesus. In Christ, that promise of restoration comes true. You see, Jesus bore the curse that we deserved. How does God keep his promise? Jesus bore the curse that we deserve. Go back up to verse 13, chapter 27. What does Rebecca tell her son? When he's afraid to be called, what what does she say? Don't worry about the curse. Let the curse be on me. Well, here's the thing. She couldn't take on that curse. Jesus took on the curse of sin. He took on our payment. And died in our place. He's the one who took the curse. Died on the cross for you and me. Why could he take it? Because he was sinless. And Paul says that the one who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And when Jesus took that curse and paid for our sin and was buried in that grave, he was vindicated and was raised three days later. Jesus is the better son. Jesus is the better son, better than Esau, better than Jacob, who did not deceive his father. Jesus is the better brother, who did not try to steal the blessing of God, but rather he earned the blessing of God through the cross and then now hands it to us. Doesn't steal it. He gains it for us. I'm going to be really clear, church. You cannot overcome the obstacles in front of you. The sins that are massive in your life, you will not overcome those except through the power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There are no other answers. There's nothing else to do but to submit your life to Jesus in repentance and to trust Him because it is Jesus who overcomes the obstacles that are in front of us. You see, we we don't behave to receive God's promises. We we behave the way we do now because we have received God's promises. I want you to look at the lengths at which God has gone to bring you into his family. Look at the mess that he worked in to bring you into his family his family, and to bear your curse and your shame. He has overcome our selfishness, our deception, our brokenness, every bit of it, even in his own family. God is gracious to keep his promises, to restore all things to himself. Pray with me. God in heaven, when we read stories like this, sometimes we're stunned that they're in the Bible. Sometimes we, we find ourselves, we see ourselves in these stories. God, I pray for all of us that we would trust you, that we would not try to interject our own sinful solutions, but that we would trust that you will fulfill your promises. That as we wait for Jesus to return, that we would trust You And we would not try to work out these plans in our own power. God, I am thankful that you use sinful people. I'm thankful that you can use people like us to make your glory known to our community and to our world. And God, would this story, this true story, remind us that you are always working, always in control. And that you will fulfill your promises. God, we love you, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.